Greetings, it's Terry at Cottage in the Court. It's warm. Okay, let me stop kidding. It's hot outside. It's June with July happening later this week. But it's warm. It's not supposed to be this warm yet. But it's here. What are we going to do? Dream about other places that offer warm, sunny days, mountain ranges, sandstorms, and more. Well, one of these places is Morocco. And I had a delightful conversation with Sandy Clinton, a local landscape architect with some absolutely divine landscapes that are actually works of art right here in the DMV. But Sandy has a secret. She also hosts trips with Moroccan caravan tours. Allow me to introduce you to Sandy Clinton and she'll share her, her journey filled with success, maybe a bump or two along the way. And she leaves everyone with a little tip about your heart. Enjoy my chat with Sandy Clinton. Hi, Sandy. How are you? Hi, I'm terrific. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So tell my listeners who you are and what does your firm do? I, well, my name is Sandy Clinton and I am the president of Clinton Reese Landscape Architects. And we are a landscape architecture firm. We're located in Hyattsville, Maryland, which is just outside of Washington, DC, close to College Park. And we do a very wide variety of landscape architecture um, projects. We have a wide client base. Uh, we started as primarily, I started the firm in 1998, uh, primarily as uh, residential uh, design and construction. So we, we build a lot of our residential work. Um, and then, uh, but it has evolved over time. And it has evolved by taking on some institutional projects like NIH and the Smithsonian and a few other projects like that. We happen to live in an area where, you know, we have these wonderful institutes and they often need landscape architecture uh, design work done. So we've taken on a few projects in those locations. And uh, more recently, in I'd say the last 50 years, we've also uh, increased our development um, client base. So we're working with a lot of big developers in the DC area, including, for instance, PN Hoffman at uh, the Wharf Federal Realty Investment Trust, where we're doing a project. We've been working on a project for years with them called Pike and Rose, which is in North Bethesda. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Pike so and Rose is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I could walk around there forever. Is that one of the projects that you're most proud of or is there another one? You know, I'm proud of really a lot of the work that we do. I think that um, my team of designers and I have always taken pride in 
in creating uh, very unique and individual designs for every project that we do. And so we take every project as kind of like a new art piece, you know, and what would we do with this art piece? Uh, and how do we create something that's both useful, that is beautiful, that is sustainable and will be lasting? Those are key things that we, you know, hope to do and to just enhance the outdoor world that people can live in by taking basically messages from nature and looking at what, um, what nature provides and trying to put it in a design fashion that allows us to have easier access to it. And we are designers who pay a lot of attention to the environment. I started my career, not my career, I went to school uh, for, um, plant science and horticulture first at the University of Delaware. So I have a degree in plant science and horticulture. And then I worked at NIH for a year as a landscape architect. And then, um, which was in quotes, landscape architect, <laughs> because I had no training. <laughs> oh, wow. I, uh, but then I went on and got a master's degree in landscape architecture from the University of Virginia. And I'm also an artist. And so it's like tying all three of those um, kind of art forms. I think planting design and horticulture is very much an art form dealing with nature directly with nature. Um, landscape architecture to me is uh, very much about creating the space in which we design useful things for people to do and enjoy and enhance the landscape. Uh, in a residential kind of form and in the other larger scale forms, it's about, to me, creating space, but also paying attention to the edges of that space and how they communicate with everything outside of that space. So you have to look at the much larger context and what is the element that you're providing to that particular property or, or campus or whatever, whatever it might be. Uh, and how does that enhance or reinforce what's going on around, around it? So never taking something as just a single element of its own, but always looking at the context around it. So Pike and Rose, I love. We've been working there for a long time. The client has been fantastic. We've had the ability to work with really amazing architects and master planners and the client themselves and all the people uh, that are associated with that client, um, engineers and so on, have just been a terrific um, team of people. Yeah, so, it's beautifully. It's ex it is very well executed, I have to say, for real. Thank you. That's yeah. very nice. Well, we're really proud of it. And we, the nice thing is we've been able to have a um, continuous relationship there because not only did we design everything, it's a 23-acre property there will ultimately be 13 new buildings on the property that used to just be a strip mall. You probably, you grew up in this area. So you yeah, know all the strip malls along Rockville Pike. Yeah. So they took away the strip mall, created 13 urban blocks out of that space. And, um, and we designed from building face to building face for the whole 23 acres, including all the rooftops of all but one building on the property. And so there's a lot of action and activity happening um, on 
rooftops and then courtyards within the buildings and terraces within the buildings. And then the ground plane itself is occupied by a huge number of different outdoor parks and little uh, little sort of meeting spots and outdoor cafe zones. And then of course the streetscape, which is mm. flowing, you know, between mm -hmm. sort of the glue that holds everything um, together are the streetscapes. And our client was fabulous. We said, we want as much room between building face to building face, and we want as wide of sidewalks as we possibly can get and still follow county regulations. And, um, and we really were able to pull that off there yeah. and make a real difference to how the whole environment and the community that's been created there feels. It, it is stunning. Um, we did a, a region two, Garden Con region two tour there, and we climbed this ladder up to one rooftop where there was a farm. But getting to that ladder to the rooftop, there was a farm. It was the most pleasant interior space. Very inviting, very welcoming. And it just kind of said, you know, you want to live here because everything is around you. And that was very meaningful definitely creating a sustainable community within a community. Right. Well, that's great to hear. And that is definitely how we thought about it. So I'm yeah. glad it comes off that way to, to you as well. Yeah. Nature speaks to you, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I feel like I was, well, I feel like I was born in the water, but it's really trees that speak to me. Ah, okay. And when you were a child, is this what you wanted to do? <laughs> when I was a obviously when I was a child, I um, I played with trucks as much as I played with dolls, and I enjoyed both very much. Um, yeah. I think it was a bit of an anomaly in my family because I grew up in a family of all girls, and you know everybody had their thing. But I was very very athletic, and so my whole life was spent outside doing some form of athletics, whether it was swim team or gymnastics or just running around the neighborhood or playing with all of our boy neighbors because we were almost surrounded completely by boy neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> and they like playing with trucks too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But by the way, I want to tell our listeners, this is two native Washingtonians here. Oh, proud yeah. of it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, so what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I wasn't actually sure. I, I struggled through school, actually, uh, elementary school all the way through high school. High school became hard for me. I think elementary and junior high were not difficult for me. But once I got to high school and you had to spend a lot more time doing non-hands-on things, mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize that at the time, but I think that had an enormous impact on me that it's much more book-oriented. The things that I thrived on in high school were, I was, the, I was the stage manager of the whole Performing Arts Center at Einstein High School. That I love because it was so hands-on and you could create things and you could tell people where they should be in space. And it wasn't until I was much, much older that I realized like that was the kind of thing that I thrived on. And as a stage manager, that's all you're doing is you're on a headset telling people where they're supposed to be mm -hmm. in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're guiding things. Right, and working on the sets and creating these imaginary backdrops. Mm 
um, and things like that. So I, I knew that, you know, and I took a lot of art classes. And so I knew that I had a, a artistic bent, but my sister was also an artist and she actually chose to go to art school for college. And why I didn't do that, I'm not really sure. Um, but nature I, called. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, I decided to go into plant science at the University of Delaware. I had a need to get away from home and I knew the only way to do that was to leave the state. And, and Delaware, we grew up at Delaware beaches and so on. So it was kind of familiar to me. And so I chose to go there. And I didn't do well there either scholastically in my first semester. I was a terrible student, just like I was a terrible student in high school. I really never learned how to study in the way that a solid academic kind of program required. Mm. And so I'm gonna publicly say that I failed out of my first year, <laughs> my first semester at the University of Delaware. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of it. I was at the time and enormously ashamed of it, but I know I, I grew out of that easily because I realized it actually taught me an enormous lesson. And that was that I had to do something that was very hands-on. Mm -hmm. And my parents, bless them, said that they uh, would support me in doing whatever I chose to do and I said, well, I want to go back to Delaware. I don't know how to do that now that I failed out. And so they did a little bit of research and talked to people and found out that I could come back, you know, as a part-time student and build up my GPA and get back into the university. So they supported me to do that. And I did that. And what I did when I went back only took classes that were hands-on classes. And I took them in the agriculture school and I took them in the geography department and I took them in the art school. And I built my GPA back up by doing things that I loved and I could really commit myself to and put all of my being into them. And then I was in a dorm room. I was in a dorm uh, common space mm -hmm. one afternoon and a woman came through the door and I vaguely knew her and I was always like charmed by her charm mm -hmm. and she walked in with a three-dimensional hand-built model I had made in a class and I was like oh, wait a minute what class did you make that in and it was the very first time I ever heard the words landscape and architecture put together oh wow and she had made this model in a in a beginning landscape architecture class which was taught through the school of agriculture uh, at the university and I signed for that class the very first chance I could. And that changed my life. That was taught by Conrad Hammerman, who ended up being a lifelong mentor of mine. Mm -hmm. And through Conrad to jump quite a ways forward at the end of my college career in, in 1980, Conrad took 17 past and current students on a tour of South America, architect Roberto Bulli Marx in 1980. And we spent six weeks working with him and living with him and being in oh, his wow. studio and, uh, and then traveling with him around the country of Brazil to projects that he had done around the country. And mm. it, it was a life-changing event for me. And I worked 
all summers and all winter sessions in order to afford to be able to do this trip. And so I paid my own way and it felt like I was really taking a huge step of independence, just this is really what I love and I want to learn more about it. I'm going to do what it takes to get myself there, you know, once it was offered. And so that was a really life affirming and also just life changing um, uh, trip for me. And, um, and then it was, well, then I graduated and I went on to, um, to work at NIH, which uh, I just lucked out getting a job in the grounds maintenance division where they were looking for a, as I said, in quotes, <laughs> landscape architect, an intern. I was really an intern mm. with two really fabulous landscape architects there. Um, and uh, they taught me so much about, again, really sort of hands-on, how do you deal with you know, new design work and NIH, the big hospital at NIH was being built at this time. Mm. And so I actually, my very first major project there was to design a rooftop terrace over top of one of the, um, you know, the indoor spaces below. Uh -huh. and, and we had a whole weight issue and I learned how to use, you know, styrofoam in the bottom of the planters to reduce <laughs> the weight. Anyway, it was a really incredible experience and um and so then at that point i'm realizing well landscape architecture really is the the thing i love it mixes you know my love for plants my love for nature my love for being outdoors with art and with architecture which are both things that i also am very passionate about so that's a very long story to say how i ended up <laughs> but you know but the but but it is it's a story i don't think it's long but it's a story and it speaks to not giving up. Yeah. You could have just said, bump it, I failed out, whatever. But you went back. That's perseverance, Sandy. I was terrified. I was terrified about what to do next. Yeah, and maybe but you it, did it. I, I did, and maybe, but it, maybe I think I was actually motivated by that terror. Like, mm. okay, okay this is a big slap in the face. You had no idea how badly you were doing. And man, is that a wake up call? Like, mm -hmm. why didn't you know how badly you were doing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a big grow up moment for me, yeah. real big maturing moment. And, and from then on, you know, I really had much more charge of myself and yeah. didn't let, I think I was one of those young people who just kind of let life happen and unfold. And, there's nothing wrong with living in the moment, but if it's not really get, getting you in a place where you really are comfortable or you're just taking somebody else's lead, mm -hmm. I feel like it's not really, you're not really living life fully. You're just allowing it to happen around you. Right. And I right. think that moment of terror was like, wow, wow, girlfriend, what are you, what are you wanting to do in life? How are you living this life and not mm -hmm. having somebody else be telling me how to live life? That, that is interesting. When, when uh, you speak of having an aha moment, when our period of unintentional pausing happened <laughs> in 2020, um, how, how did you receive that? We, I was in a very interesting place uh, at that time. Um, we had a lot of very good work uh, that, that was um, ongoing work. 
And so I wasn't particularly worried about that work until we started getting calls from those clients saying, you know what, we're just gonna go on a pause for a while. And some people said, we're just gonna stop doing this altogether. So suddenly, kind of like the, the um, economic downturn in, the, in 2008 and nine, I felt like, uh-oh, the rug is starting to be pulled. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was also trying to transition to becoming a partnership because at that time, my firm was Clinton and Associates, which it had been for 22 years. And I was transitioning in the midst of transitioning to become Clinton Reese and taking on my current partner, Kate Reese. And we were in the midst of negotiating how we were going to do that and signing contracts for that when this pause, as you call it, occurred. Mm. And so not only were we hearing from our clients that, oops, we're gonna slow down, I was also working on kind of growing the business in a different and bigger way. And those two things don't really align. Mm -hmm. And so we actually, Kate and I took a pause. We just stepped back and said, you know what? We both believe that this is meant to be, but we also both believe that we have to pay attention to what's going on in the world. And we have to really look out for the employees that we have and we have to make sure that they're protected and that we're doing all the things that we can to make sure that everybody's healthy and, you know, and, and able to work in the ways that we need to. And we still had clients, so we needed to continue to, to, to work. But we, you know, as soon as, as COVID came around, we, we just said, we, we have to close the office. We have to not close the office, but we had to move everybody home. And we had to make sure that everybody had the equipment that they needed and, and so on. So that, you know, we had to spend money to do that, knowing that money wasn't coming in. But I also know after 23 years of running my own business that it's the cost of doing business and you can't, you can't predict what's going to happen. Um, I had an even more fearful period when, when the economy dropped in 2008 and literally every client I had dried up and I had very minor work and I had to let the entire staff go at that time. Mm. And, and I wasn't sure that I was gonna be able to survive that. Um, I just finished a very large project which had put all the energy of the firm into it and very quickly looked at what was ahead and thought, oh my gosh, we don't have anything and the economy is plunging. And um, I really had to take a big hard look then at um, you know, what was the, what was the future of the firm and how, what direction did I want it to go in? And because we were very much, um, we weren't only residential, but we our largest group of projects were residential at the time. Mm -hmm. I realized we had to really advertise more for a much broader brush base uh, of clients. And just miraculously, one day I'm in the office I had one person that I had brought back on an hourly basis to help me finish some work. And the two of us were in the office and I get a call from Federal Realty about Pike and Rose. Oh. And he, this person who called me um, said, I understand you design botanic gardens. And he said, I'm looking at a lot of other competitors of yours 
and I've interviewed a number of people, but I haven't found anybody who knows how to design a botanic garden. And he said, I looked at your website and I thought, oh my gosh, she designs botanic gardens. And so I'd really like to meet you. I think we met maybe three days later. He brought a whole team of people from Federal Realty into the room. And we just had a conversation kind of like what you and I are having now. But I came with a presentation, you know, ready to sort of sell what we do and what we're capable of. And But really, we just had an incredible conversation for about two or two and a half hours. Wow. And from that time, we have been working with them ever since on that property. And we've done a lot of other federal realty properties, um, not of the same level or the major development that Pike and Rose is, but um, so that really got us out of that, out of that hole. And it also helped our business grow, as I said, in a much broader um, way so that we're not relying on one kind of client over the other because things change too much in this world, mm -hmm. to, you know, to be very single-minded. Mm -hmm. Now, when you are designing these botanic gardens, are there faraway places that um, kind of add to the inspiration? You mean in terms of just, yeah, so where, what are the inspirations you're asking? Mm -hmm. Yes, well, my my, uh, my time with Roberto Bully Marx, who I followed for the rest of his life, um, and he lived into his 90s, um, have always been inspirational. And, you know, they continue to be because they live on. He designed the Copacabana in, Brazil and you know it, it's just a stunning a number of hundreds and hundreds of other places mm -hmm. um I also look I look at other people's work um I I'm very inspired by both people who came long before our time mm -hmm. um and sort of see how projects got developed and how they were uh, built and then how they've either been maintained and are still quite beautiful or that they actually fell to the wayside and I try to figure out like why why did they you know was it lack of maintenance was it was the design not sustainable in some in some way um, did development encroach too much and therefore it was less deemed less valuable somehow uh, and all those things, of course, um, you know, play into it. I also, prior to starting um, Clinton and Associates, which is now Clinton Reese, because that partnership did go through. <laughs> after yeah. that, um, we, uh, I worked at Uma Van Sweden for 14 years. Um, you know, so that my my tenure there. Uh, working with Jim and Wolfgang directly, because I started uh, in that office when there were only three of us. And we had a tremendous amount of, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one with Jim and one-on-one -on -one with Wolfgang and really uh, gained so much knowledge and also just tremendous teamwork. We all learned from each other there. We all built that, the three of us and the two of them just really built that place together. Um, when I walked in the door in 1985, no one had ever done a set of construction documents from which a garden got built. They just did scribble drawings on tracing paper. And, um, and I think Sonny Scully, Sonny Scully, uh, 
was in their office before I joined and she had left before I began there. I think she tried, she pushed them in that direction but I'm not sure how successful that was because they were so used to just drawing on a piece of trace and, and having it built from that. Um, but they brought, they the two of them brought a lot to the Washington DC region and also to the country in terms of how and what they used in, uh, as far as plant material you know, how did they design with plant material? What choices did they make? Uh, and how did it all come together? Um, and so I did learn a lot in that office. Uh, and I also taught a lot in that office in the time that I was there. So, so all of that remains very inspirational um, to me. And other than designing beautiful sweeping gardens, I, I botanic gardens because they are. Um, what else? What's your other passion? Hmm. I have a number of passions. One is I'm I'm a I'm an art lover and I'm an artist, and so I spend almost all of my my not working time making art of some kind. Um, so that's pretty fabulous. And the rest of that time uh, is I run travel tours to Morocco. Mm. Um, a place that I've become very passionate about, partly because of its colors, its textures, its culture, um, its patterns, um, and so on. So I, I take tours, uh, very small tours, and I co-lead with a, a local Moroccan uh, tour guide. And the tours that I run with him have to do with uh, gardens, culture, and cuisine, mm. or gardens, art, and architecture, or uh, we're actually just designing uh, a new tour that's going to be a, a uh, Sahara Desert art retreat, and then and then a, an ocean retreat, you know, kind of combination. Mm -hmm. And we're expanding to Gibraltar. We're going to run a tour to Gibraltar and then Morocco. And when and when COVID is really taken, you know, when we've got it completely under control, we will also add on Southern Spain because there is a tremendous connection between Morocco and Southern Spain, uh, historically, culturally, landscape-wise, garden-wise, all of that. Um, and so this, so it's really to me, it feels like it's a it's a, an outgrowth of my love for landscape architecture and, and plants and nature to have fallen in love with a country that is filled with so much variety of landscape or variety of, of um, topography, variety of culture, and then a real emphasis on design and color and, um, and art. Um, nothing there is done without thinking of how to do it in the most beautiful way possible. Mm. And mm. so it's just makes me, it, it fills my soul when I go there, fills me up completely. How often do you go? How, how often are your trips? Well, my trips are, I try, I try to run three trips in the spring and three trips in the fall. Um, and they're usually two weeks long each. So I'm gone about a month and a half, um, the beginning, you know, in the spring and, and in the fall. Mm -hmm. And, 
and I've been nine times uh, in the last three years um, mm. running, running these trips and also just enjoying my own exploration of the country. Mm -hmm. So I encourage anybody in your audience who is interested in joining us, we are, uh, we advertise on Instagram and, and Facebook and also um, on websites. So I can pass that information on. So when is your next trip? My next trip is called Gardens Culture Cuisine, and it begins on September 17th. So just a few, really a few weeks away, a couple of months from now. Yeah, yeah. So did that period of unintentional pausing make you second guess going, you know, back into another country? Not at all. Mm -hmm. Not for a second. <laughs> Made you want to get there quicker, didn't it? Made you want to get there quicker. That's absolutely true. <laughs> so if you had three things to, to say about going to Morocco, what are the three things that people need to know about going there? It's kind of like two layers of crust, but stuffed with meat or vegetables um, on oh, the inside, wow. cooked in the sand uh, and with palm leaves separating it from the, from the sand, but the heat is coming from the sand and cooking the bread um, in that way. So I've never made it before. I've eaten it many times and it's mm -hmm. absolutely delicious. So I'm really excited to learn how to make it that way. Mm. What kind of meat is do they stuff it with? They mostly eat lamb and chicken there. So um, th these would generally be lamb, mm -hmm. uh, ground lamb of some kind. Um, and lamb takes up uh, spices very well. Very, very well. Yeah. Mm. They do grow most of their own herbs and, and spices. So the only thing, the only food I think Morocco imports is wheat. And that's for its bread making. They're big bread. It's a big bread eating country. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they can't grow enough wheat um, to support their, to support <laughs> their, their habit. Wow. <laughs> so if, if of all the times that you've gone, what is your, the favorite time of year that you find that you enjoy going? I think my favorite time is probably the spring because the fields, all the fields um, that you pass when you're driving through the country all come out in blooms of poppy. Oh. And they're red poppies. Oh, so it is a delight to the eye. It's a delight to every sense in your body. And we, we now have something that we call poppy stops. So if we're driving and I see up ahead that there's a big field of poppies, I yell out to the driver, poppy stop. Oh, wow. <laughs> if the driver can find a place to pull over. Then we get to go out and, and romp through the field of poppies and take photographs and things like that. So so that's a very, very fun, you know, spontaneous kind of uh, adventure that we take. And, yeah. and it's completely unplanned. It just happens if it can happen. But also there are a number of gardens, um, designed gardens in, in Morocco. And so for some of our garden tours, we, you know, we um, uh, see probably 12 or 15 different types of gardens done mm. by very many different 
um, designers, some of them not landscape architects nor gardeners necessarily, just people who had land and they created something unique and it became a public, um, you know, an opportunity for a public garden. Wow. And then, and then because it is a kingdom, the king has palaces all over and there are gardens associated with the palaces that are open to the public as well. And so people have access to, you know, large outdoor natural areas, um, you know, kind of in the foothills of the mountains and at the edges of desert. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very green country by surprise. It's a surprise. Yeah. yeah. Consider that. Yeah. When people say Morocco, I think desert. I mean, I don't think about green. You well, know? desert is magical there. It is golden sands. I've been there through sandstorms and they're stunningly fabulous and beautiful. And, and it's like express, it's like the, the earth expressing itself in some kind of major way. You know, this big wind gets started, it picks up all the debris. And like, if you're in a place where it's coming towards you, you just think, well, okay, the world's about to end. (laughs) Because you cannot see through this sandstorm, you only see like this blanket of, of, you know, kind of golden sand, and you have to protect yourself. And nomads, you know, who walk through the desert all the time, they're, they're constantly in cover, you know, multiple layers of cover. but you know we're generally in a building or something you know when they happen but it's still quite a dramatic dramatic event yeah. and they're very short lived they don't last you know but for a few hours and it's kind of like a big thunderstorm coming through okay so what's your group size small we try to keep it very intimate we take uh, between 13 and 14 participants uh, in each group so that we can um, really have a very hands-on experience. The first group I went with, there were 23 of us. Uh, I was not leading that particular tour. I was one of the participants. And I think that was a manageable size, but the bus was too big. And so we couldn't actually get into some of the places that we were supposed to. So the different transportation had to be figured out for that. But so we've decided that we're just doing it in smaller you know, a smaller vehicle. So we have a very beautiful um, Mercedes-Benz large touring bus that holds um, 14 participants hmm. very comfortably. And, um, and we stay in really beautiful guest houses along the way. So we stay in uh, no hotels. Uh, actually, that's not true. We stay in one hotel in Fez, but it's a very it's locally run, uh, locally operated, uh, but everything else is a very small, intimate guest house where you get to meet, you know, know, know the people that own it um, and the people who are helping you out there and you end up playing games with them in the evening and things like that. So it's, it's very much like a familial um, experience where people get to know the, you know, all the participants get to know each other very well. And, um, and we keep it quite light, you know, it's really just uh, a very fun experience. It's very educational, extremely educational. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could not believe how much after my first tour, uh, how much I learned uh, and how much has stayed with me. And of course, because I've gone back so many times to run my own tours, 
um, you know, I just keep learning. And now I'll be running a garden, I'll be running the garden tour portion of this next tour that's coming up in September. And so I've done, you know, I spent the last year and a half researching and writing a book, writing a booklet that goes with the tour. Nice. Oh, um, nice. How can people find out about this? So, well, they can contact me directly. Um, and my uh, my email, if you want me to give you that, is uh, syc at Clinton Reese, spelled R-I-E-S-L-A dot com. So that's my email address. The website for our tours, to be able to look at options for tours, is at www.moroccancaravantours.com. And Moroccan Caravan is owned by Adi Wadaru, and he is my travel partner and the main uh, tour guide. Wow. Did you ever think you'd be talking with nature and running tours? You know, I think I actually always hoped I would. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of can't believe it's come to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how, you know, those bumps in the road that we have early on in life mm -hmm. really, really help make us who we are today. And you, you've proven no, that. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, it takes life experience to give you a few knocks to, mm -hmm. you know, see if you can get back up again, rise again. Yeah, yeah. Now, one last question. Our young people need to have a, a touch of clarity. You've proven that you can fail, you can get back up, and then live your life and live your best life. What words would you like to share with them? Well, I would say really, my advice would be you always have to go with your heart. And if there's anything that nature tells us is nature works in its own miraculous way. And if you pay attention to its miraculous way, it's actually simple on the surface and incredibly com complex beneath it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and you you integrate something into it that doesn't belong and guess what it kicks it out or it kills it or something mm -hmm. and i find i i just find that if you are motivated by your heart and you listen to your heart your your heart is the best guide and if somebody's pushing you to do something that you're really not excited about or motivated by, I would suggest that you listen to listen to your heart rather than to someone else. And that's sometimes hard to do, but. Yeah. As my mom would say, just smile and bow out gracefully. Smile and nod. <laughs> yes, yeah, smile and nod. Keep it moving. <laughs> Sandy, this has been awesome. What a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to, I'm going to end by saying, um, Teleclassic, which in Moroccan Arabic means take care of yourself. And I'll also end by saying baslama, which means goodbye. And shukran bizef, which means thank you very much. I love this industry, the world of horticulture. It offers us so much. Each person is like a seed. 
And when sown in fertile soil, each person enhances another person's life and maybe even their dreams. Thank you for your words, Sandy. Now I want to give a few words back to the universe. These words are from Toby Hemingway. A garden that is designed only to look pretty barely skims the surface of what landscapes can offer. Sandy Clinton offers landscapes that are livable, that are works of art, that are walkable. And she also offers trips that give us something to dream about. Right now, I'm dreaming about making stuffed bread in sand and how I can make that happen for me in my life. That's to be continued. (laughs) In the meantime, I want to say thank you for following me on my website, cottageinthecourt.com, Instagram and Twitter, Cottage in Court, Facebook, Cottage in the Court, and sometimes I write on Medium. Now, I've been a little quiet on all my social media because I've been writing a book with Kathy Jentz. And we'll share more about that later, but uh, we're excited about it and we're eager to present it to the world. But for right now, we've got to finish doing what we do, which is sowing seeds on paper so that we can create or finish creating this book that we hope everyone will purchase. Enjoy the rest of the week.